Well, good morning. Do grab a seat. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you, uh, Pastor Duane, for inviting me. Uh, thank you all for letting me join you this morning. Um, a friend of mine was on uh, vacation last summer. He was in one of the nicer parts of the world <laughs> for a few days, and he messaged me on one day with these words. He, he messaged saying, heading to the beach, going to need your prayers today. And you might think he's just being a jerk and, you know, rubbing in the fact that he's going to the beach while everyone else is going to the office or whatever. But I knew him well enough to know that, that he was being serious, that he was being genuine. Because what was troubling my friend was that he was, he was heading to the beach and he hated his body. And he was sensing that, you know, there was going to be an expectation that at the beach he would have to take his top off and go for a swim or something like that. He, uh, he also messaged me to say that the two guys he was with could have passed for male models and that wasn't helping the situation either. And he said he was just feeling very self-conscious and increasingly anxious, hence genuinely wanting prayer. And I mention that because my friend is not alone in feeling that way. Uh, none of us has an entirely straightforward relationship with our body, and, and many, most, maybe all of us, struggle in some way with, with what our body looks like. Um, I've been thinking through this topic for, for many years, teaching on it here and there. I lost count a long time ago just of how many guys have shared with me some sense of insecurity about some aspects of how they look that sense of not measuring up to what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to look like. And it seems to be an issue that everyone is facing, whether you're a man or, male or a, a, man or a woman, whether you're young or old, and we're, we're evidently facing it more and more. Um, all of us have some sense of, of what we're meant to look like. And so when it comes to our bodies, all of us are followers. Someone is determining how we feel about the way that we look. Someone is calling the shots. Someone is setting the standards. That someone might be your peer group. It might be your family. It might be social media. It might be the movies. It might be advertising. But we're all following someone's standard of what we're meant to look like, and we're not finding it easy. And so my typical approach as a, as a Christian, when any kind of issue comes up that I'm aware of in myself, in, in other people, the question that always comes to my mind is, what, what difference does Jesus make to this? Because my baseline assumption as a, as a believer is that there is no part of my life that won't be improved by following Jesus. He's good news in, in every aspect of our lives. And therefore, how, how is Jesus good news for, for how we think about our bodies? Well, I want to frame the, the response to that by using some words from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you've got a, a Bible uh, to hand on a device, um, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 6. I'll read from verses 12 down to, to verse 20. We'll use this as a springboard to a few other texts as well. But we're going to start at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 12. I'm, I happen to be reading from ESV. Do follow in whatever you are, are most familiar with. So 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, Paul is quoting the people he's writing to. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. 
All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Um, Paul is responding to various things that people are saying at that church in Corinth. They were evidently into kind of hashtags before hashtags were a thing. So they had these kind of slogans that were doing the rounds and Paul is, is having to respond to them. Um, and one of the things that they're saying is in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, they're saying when you have a bodily appetite, you, you meet that appetite. If you're feeling hungry, you go and get something to eat. And that, that saying, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, seems to be their kind of justification for sexual sin. You know, if you're hungry, hungry, you eat. Uh, and as far as they were concerned, the two things are just the same thing. It's just a matter of biology. It's just, it's just physical. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And so Paul is, is trying to respond by saying, well, actually, the fact that it's biology means it does matter because the body matters. Uh, the body is significant to, to the Lord. He tells us at the end of this, this passage to, to glorify God in your body. But the, the phrase I want us to, to zero in on is um, what he says there in verse 13. He says, the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So I want to take each of those two things and, and make them our, our kind of main teaching points this morning. So firstly, the Lord is for the body, and then we'll think about what it means for the body to be for the Lord. So this is why Jesus is good news for our bodies. Uh, the Lord is for the body. God is not indifferent when it comes to the human body. Bodies matter to God. God has, has made them. Um, by now, God has made several billion human bodies, apparently he enjoys doing so. And we know from Psalm 139, as we were hearing some of those uh, verses at the beginning of the service, that it's not just that God has made us, but how God has made us that is so significant. So back in Psalm 139, David can say to, to God in, in verse 13, he says, you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David is, is giving us an insight into a number of things here. David is showing us that God has made all of us, but we're not mass-produced. Uh, it's not as if God has got some sort of body-making you know, factory machine, and he's just sort of churning out human bodies David is saying, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. There's something kind of wonderfully hands-on and, and labor-intensive about knitting. 
I've never done it, but I've watched people knit. I've, I've seen people knitting when I'm preaching sometimes. It's kind of, it's a nice thing. It's, you know, every stitch is, is, is hand done. Um, someone asked me recently what the word artisan meant or artisanal. And I said, I had no idea what it actually means. But in ex- you know, experience tells me it means lumpy and overpriced, depending on what kind of <laughs> shop you're going into. But I looked it up, and it means that sense of being handmade and, and sort of handcrafted. And, and that, therefore, means that God is an artisan. Uh, we have been individually handcrafted. And David is also showing us that there's something deliberate, therefore, about how God has made us. Uh, you are not here by chance. Uh, you're not here by accident. God made you and, and God meant to make you. Now, some of us, I know this is a, a sensitive topic, some of us were not intended by our parents. And we're a bit of a surprise. I've got a few friends for whom that's the case, and in, in some cases it's a kind of family banter thing, it, it, you know, it's all kind of joked about. In other cases I know it, it affects people much more profoundly than that. But David is showing us here in Psalm 139 that no one is a mistake to God. No one was a surprise to God. No one was an accident to God. God meant to make you. Now, that doesn't mean our, our bodies are perfect. David is saying of his own imperfect body that it was fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies have been tainted by sin. There's lots of ways in which our bodies don't work properly. They're problematic but we're still fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think that phrase means that if we could really see what went into God's creating of us, it would actually blow our minds. I think of this when I, you know, you see a a brand new dad, say, you know, helping carry his his newborn baby from the hospital and and getting it into the car. I remember when when Prince William had, when they had their first child, all the cameras were watching Prince William as he kind of carried baby George out of the hospital and everyone was kind of grading his his skills at, you know, getting the car seat in and not dropping anyone and all those kinds of things. But there's that sense of of fear with a brand new parent holding a a brand new child, a sort of, oh my goodness, what what is this that I'm holding? It's so precious. There's a sense of fearfulness. And we sense that with a, with a brand new child. We should sense that with every single one of us. Because the people sat around you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The person you're going to see staring back at you in the mirror is fearfully and wonderfully made. It doesn't mean that God, you know, assembled you from the, you know, flat pack Ikea kind of style, Allen keys and leftover bits that you have no idea what they were for. When it says God made us, it means more than he, he assembled us, it means he thought you up. He had the idea of you in the first place. And if Genesis 1 is to be believed, then God was having a good day when he thought you up. 
you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. The body you have now will be problematic, it will be challenging in lots of ways. But it's nevertheless something of a gift of God to you. And I want to suggest that at least two things that, that can flow from this, there'll be many others for us to think about, but two things for us to think about as we reflect on the, the Lord being for the body. The first is, is to cultivate a sense of thankfulness. Uh, David says there in Psalm 139, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The thing to do with that understanding that we've been fearfully and wonderfully made is to praise God. To turn it into thanks to him. Our bodily life with all of its ups and downs is still a reason to praise God. Uh, you may have a lot of pain because of your body. Maybe that's physical pain from some physical ailment or affliction. Uh, we live in a world where people get sick and, and some people stay sick. It may be the pain of feeling that your body isn't what you feel like it's meant to be or that it doesn't, doesn't fit you in some way. It may be the pain that comes from feeling ashamed of your body, ashamed maybe of, of what you've done with it. Or maybe the shame of what comes from what other people have, have done to your body. There are lots of ways the body causes us pain and grief, but it is still a gift. We have been fearfully and wonderfully made. So maybe one thing each of us can try to do uh, this coming week in the morning is as we are in the bathroom in the morning doing whatever your, your morning routine is, maybe one thing each of us can try to do is to thank God for what we see in the mirror. Irrespective of how we feel about what we see in the mirror, to know that we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. I know people who've, who've put that verse on, their, on the mirror in their bathroom. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. As a, as a trigger to them, I, I don't feel like praising God for, for what I see in the mirror, but I am going to praise God for what I see in the mirror. So cultivating thankfulness. And another thing that flows from this is, and we've become all too aware of this in the last year or so, is, is to value physical presence. Uh, we've, we've been forced to learn that the value of presence in the last couple of years, and we never would have imagined just even two or three years ago that physical presence was something we you know, could just take for granted. And we've learned lots of other ways of, of being in contact with each other during lockdowns. We, we're grateful for those things. We're kind of sick of them too. Um, but we're, we're glad that we had Zoom. We're glad that we had social media. We're glad that we had messaging. Lots of ways that we can relate to each other when we're physically apart. But we must never think that those things are enough. If the Lord is for the body, then it means there's going to be something uniquely valuable about being bodily present with one another. That is going to make a difference. All the things that we can do online can give us the feeling of being connected, but actually, without physical presence, it's a very incomplete way of relating to each other. Um, in the, the letter of, of 2 John, verse 12, John says, 
I have much to write to you, but I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. I love that. John is saying, I've got a ton of stuff I need to cover with you. I don't, I don't want to use pen and ink, uh, paper and ink. We know that paper and ink were expensive. They were kind of new technologies at that time. But it's not because John's a, a cheapskate. It's not because John is saving money. He says, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. There is joy in, in getting a phone call. There is joy in, in FaceTiming a, a, a friend. But it's incomplete joy. John is saying our, our joy is complete as we are physically face to face with one another. If John was writing that today, he might say, you know, I don't want to do this by Zoom. I want to come. We need to sit together. We need to be together. So the Lord is, is for the body. We've been fearfully and wonderfully made. But then secondly, Paul shows us in, in 1 Corinthians 6 that the body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. He, he is pro-body. But the body is also for the Lord. What does that mean? Well, back to 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says some some words here that would be horrific to hear in any other context. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, he says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Uh, a very dear friend of mine was, was trafficked when she was a, a teenager so she heard those words, said to her, you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. Uh, wonderfully, after a few years, she was able to escape and has since come to faith. And I, I remember asking her, how did, how did these words in Corinthians land on you given your, your past and what has happened to you? And, and she talked about how liberating these words are now to be owned by Jesus actually is glorious. As, as Christians, we now belong to Jesus. We are His. Our bodies are His. What does that mean? Well, what it doesn't mean is that we're, we're, we, we belong to Jesus in the sense of being some piece of property He barely even knows He has. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed as a Christian to enjoy the show Shit's Creek, but I, <laughs> I do. Um, good bit of Canadian culture that you've given the rest of us. But the, part of the premise behind that movie is this, this family that was so wealthy and has lost everything. They suddenly remember there was a little town that they, they bought as a joke, and it's now the only thing they have left, so they, they moved to this little country town. And there's that kind of idea. You can own a town and have forgotten you own a town because you're that wealthy. And this is, that is not what Jesus is like. We're not something Jesus barely knows he has or, or doesn't really care about because Paul goes on to say, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Jesus has come 
by his spirit to dwell in your body. Your body is holy ground. That's what it means to belong to Jesus. It means your, your body is God's address on, on earth. Paul uses the language of temple. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? I had the opportunity um, earlier this year of, of going on a, a tour of, of Israel, something I'd hoped to do for, for many years, and COVID delayed and all the rest of it. Finally got to go earlier this year. And it was, it was great. I, I now realize that when you go with a tour, what that really means is, you know, you can only go as fast as the weakest bladder in the entire group. And it was a, a group of people of a certain age. So it was a tour of all the various washrooms of, of Israel with occasional, you know, Bible sites as well. Um, but we did get to visit the, the site of the old temple in Jerusalem. And you may well know there's, there's part of that temple complex that is, is called the Western Wall, and it's, and it's the part, it's the sort of one main part of the temple that, that remains that still dates back to the time of Jesus. And it's the, the wall that, that Jewish men will pray at, asking that the temple would be restored to them. And it's often known as the Wailing Wall because of the, the grief and the emotion and the lament that is being expressed. And you, you get to as a tourist, you can go and stand by the wall and you're, you're surrounded by this, this sea of fervent prayer. People longing for this temple to be given back to them. And as I stood there, kind of surrounded by this, this fervent prayer, I couldn't help but think of this verse in, in 1 Corinthians 6 and, and how scandalous it is. Because I, I stood there, my hand was physically touching the wall. And I remember thinking, my body is more of a temple than this building will ever be. And I remember as that thought came into my mind, I remember thinking, is that right? That feels a bit, that feels a bit naughty to think that. That feels like that would be offensive. But that is what the passage is saying. It's not arrogance or presumption on my part. It's, it's only because of Jesus. It's not because of me. Jesus has chosen to make his dwelling in us. So my friend, if I can go out on a limb here, um, you have no idea how much you matter to God. How much he cherishes you. The gospel is not merely that God's kind of arranged it, that he's kind of okay with you now. You know, he doesn't have a problem with you. That itself would be, would be good news, but the gospel is not just that God can now merely tolerate you. He's not keeping you at arm's length. What Jesus has done for us is, is more than God saying, okay, I, I now have nothing against you. You can, you can be on your way. No, the gospel is God so wanting to be with us that he has made his home in our bodies.
That's what it means for our bodies to belong to Jesus. And here's why it's so liberating, because if your body belongs to Jesus, then the only person your body really needs to please is Jesus. Again, we're all followers of someone when it comes to our bodies. We're all trying to please someone when it comes to our bodies. And Jesus is a far kinder person to be led by when it comes to our bodies than anyone else. Which again raises the question, well, what, what does it look like for our bodies to please Jesus? Well, the body that's pleasing to Jesus isn't necessarily the one you'll see on the cover of a fitness magazine or on a billboard or on, you know, it's not the kind of body that will turn heads at a beach. The body that is pleasing to Jesus is the body that is given to Jesus. So Paul says at the beginning of of Romans chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He is saying that the body that is pleasing to Jesus is the body that is offered to him, consecrated to him. God isn't just interested in, in some kind of spiritual aspect of your life. God is interested in the entirety of who you are, and that includes your body. So Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that, as a sacrifice, as an offering, is pleasing to God. God is pleased to receive your body as an offering. Just a a couple of chapters earlier, back in Romans uh, 6, verse 13, Paul had put it this way. He says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God, that is the parts of your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. In other words, think through the different parts of your body and think each part of your body can be given to God as an instrument of righteousness. And what makes that so precious is because just a bit earlier, Paul had said, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. In other words, before we knew Christ, we we used our bodies as instruments for sin. We used our bodies to sin. When Paul talks about how all humanity is is under sin in Romans chapter 3, he uses bodily language to describe that. But now he's saying the very parts of your body that you have used for sin can now be used as instruments of righteousness. Again, I love that about the gospel. The very parts of our bodies we might have most misused, God will now receive. And more than that, God will now use. I remember chatting to a friend of mine once who who was planning to, he was engaged and he he was getting anxious about being married because he had sinned sexually so much in his past and he was wondering if if sex could ever become a, a holy thing for him. And this passage is saying, yes, that the very members of your body that you have most used for sin, you can now offer to the Lord and he can use for righteousness. So we can think about our bodies and think, well, I can offer the Lord my feet and ask the Lord, where, where do you want me to go? 
what can I do? That can be a kind of, you know, where can I go for the next 10 years type question. That could be, a, you know, I've got some time this afternoon, Lord, where, where can I go? Who can I be a blessing to? Who can I serve? Um, the thing, thing about our hands, that the work we do day to day, whether that's changing diapers, whether that's writing software, whatever it might be, whatever our work is, we can offer that to the Lord. I can offer the Lord my eyes and say to the Lord, I, I long to see the world in the way that you do. I'm reminded in Mark chapter 6 that when, when Jesus sees the crowds, he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And I think to myself, I don't see people like that. I see crowds and I get irritated. When Jesus sees the lostness of the world around him, it fills him with compassion. Not with irritation, but with compassion. So I pray, Lord, help me to see the world as you do. I want to offer God my, my ears and to say to the Lord, listen, I, there are so many voices that want my attention, but help me to have ears that, that hear your voice. Help me to have ears that actually listen well to the people around me, that I can actually hear some of the needs that are behind what people are saying to me. I can offer God my sexuality and, and, and say to the Lord, well, listen, this, this sexual energy you've given me, that was your idea. How can I use this in a way that will dignify others and, and honor you? I can think about my, my words, whether, whether spoken with a tongue or typed with, with a thumb, and say, Lord, please help me to offer you the words that I'm going to be sending into the world. The words I type, the messages I send, the comments I post, those are all things that could be life or death to somebody else. The person I'm responding to, unbeknownst to me, this might be the last day they are planning to spend on planet Earth. And my words could either have the power to push them over the edge or to give them hope to hang in there for just one more day. We have no idea how powerful our words are. And this giving of ourselves to God is, is pleasing to him. We're not doing this to try to make God love us. We're doing this because God has already shown his love to us. He's done everything for us. So you are not the perfect physical specimen. Sorry if that's a shock to some of you. But you don't have to be the perfect physical specimen for your body right now to be pleasing to God. It just has to be given to him. Because the body is for the Lord. So what do I say to my friend who's next time he's heading to the beach? Well, I guess I could say to him, you don't need to think about whether your body is okay enough for the people who are at the beach. Because none of the people at the beach gave up their body for you. You don't need to think about whether your body is okay enough for our culture because 
Our culture didn't die for you and never would. But Jesus did. Jesus gave up his own body. To return to those words in in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. And we will never fully understand the the extent of that price as, as Jesus yielded his perfect life for us on a cross. But we do know that he meant to. And that he has no, no buyer's regret. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let me pray for us. Our Father, the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord. And we thank you for what this means. Thank you, Lord, that our bodies right now, whatever condition or state they are in, are bodies that you are for, bodies that you made, bodies that you care about, bodies that you crafted. Father, we thank you that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, that we do matter, that our lives do mean something to you. And Father, we thank you that the body is for the Lord, that our bodies will make most sense when lived for Christ. And so we thank you that because of what Christ has done, our bodies can be offered to you. They can be holy and pleasing to you. They can be useful to you. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that the only person our bodies really need to please is Jesus himself. And we thank you for what a kind owner of our bodies he is. We pray in his precious name. Amen.